This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Big, big thanks to FreshBooks, the super easy to use cloud accounting software. FreshBooks is offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial to our listeners. To claim it, just go to freshbooks.com slash invest and enter invest like a boss in the how did you hear about us section. Welcome to the Invest Like a Boss podcast. I'm Sam Marks. And I'm Johnny F.D. We're self-made entrepreneurs who invest our own money and use modern technology to invest like a boss. Join us each week for exclusive interviews with our network of modern investors, business owners, and multimillionaires to discover new ways to invest our hard-earned cash. Hey, bosses. Just a quick note before we start this week's show. Johnny and I are currently hosting a fundraiser to build five playgrounds in Cambodia in 2018. We will personally be there installing them next January and we'd really love your support. For the next month of June, every new review that Invest Like a Boss gets, we're going to personally donate $10 to the charity and fundraiser, and we're also going to give you a personal shout-out. So if you want to support this charity, please just take the two minutes to log into iTunes and leave us a review. It will help support the show, and most importantly, it will go directly to contributing the five amazing playgrounds to these underprivileged and beautiful kids in Cambodia next year. As always, thank you guys for your support. Hey guys, this is Johnny, and welcome to episode 60 of the Invest Like a Boss podcast. I'm here with Sam Marks. Guys, welcome back. This week, we have on another great guest, something a little bit different, a fellow podcaster, MC Larbshire, who runs the Cashflow Ninja podcast, amongst many other things in wealth management. He's also the CEO of Valhalla Wealth Financial and puts out a lot of different content and material all around different types of wealth planning. And I had the great honor of being on his podcast a few weeks back. And during it, just came up with so many things I wanted to ask him personally. So we thought no other better way than get him on Invest Like a Boss. What does Valhalla actually mean? Any idea? Well, I think Valhalla is something Greek, no? No, no, no. I was, I was going to say Viking, actually. It is something Viking. I, I just looked it up. It's uh, in North myth- mythology, Valhalla is a majestic, enormous hall located, located in Asgard. Ruled over the, by the god Odin. All right, well, great name for a uh, investment company. I have a, a similar question for you. What does FD stand for in Johnny FD? Do you really not know this? Like we've been we've been good friends for like three years now. I, I know, but I I never know where I never knew where that came from. I always knew your last name is something different. And someone asked me the other day, like, what's FD stands for? I'm like, like uh, I don't know. <laughs> I tried to come up with something. I couldn't figure it out. So you obviously never read my first my first book, Twelve Weeks in Thailand. I keep waiting for you to give me a free copy, but uh, it never shows up. So yeah, maybe uh, for Christmas this year and get you one, or you can just go to Amazon and pay the five ninety nine. Not, not doing it. Not doing it. <laughs> uh, FD stands for so the the first book was about Muay Thai fighting and uh, working as a dive master. So to get to kind of squeeze more keywords into my Amazon listing, the book was called 12 Weeks in Thailand, The Good Life on Cheap by Johnny Fighter Diet Master. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I'm so shocked that you, you had yeah. no idea. You never even bothered to ask. 
No, no. I just thought it was some kind of toy name that made up for yourself, which it sort of is. But, you know, like when everyone used to be back on AOL Instant Messenger back in the day, that was like our thing before Skype and Facebook Messenger and everything. I thought it was maybe some name you made up for yourself like back then and it just kind of stuck. Yeah, no. But uh, also, I think John and Jen, I, even though I, I like it now, it used to always kind of remind me of a girl's name. I used to be called, um, you know, yeah, no, it's, it's cool. Okay. I, just didn't, I just didn't really like it. And also, you can't Google Johnny Jen because you get like Johnny Jennifer Addison, Johnny Depp. You get all the you know yeah. other things that pop up. So I was like, you know what? Let me just uh, get get my own pen name if I'm gonna write this book. And it comes just stuck. So we got Johnny FD and we got Valhalla Wealth Financial. Yeah, <laughs> and the Cash Flow Ninja coming up. And yeah, he's had on uh, some pretty big guests on his podcast, including Robert Kiyosaki. Uh, and some other really kind of big names. So I'm, I'm excited to, to have him on here and kind of see what he's learned from all that. Yeah, so he's interviewed over 150 people, and he asks each of his guests a couple of specific questions, which I find really interesting, not on an individual level necessarily, but on an aggregate level. And I know he's planning on doing something with that content uh, that should be really, really cool. And we're going to talk a little bit more about the material that he's put, put, putting out and about his podcast and some of the takeaways that he has learned from interviewing all these great people that have been on his show and from studying the field of finance for a long time. All right. Well, let's take a listen to episode 60. That's like a boss. Hey bosses, if you are self-employed like we are, and especially if you hate dealing with numbers, invoices, and reminders, you need to check out FreshBooks. They made my life so much easier by letting me set up reoccurring expenses and invoices that I can set up once and just forget about. You can set up automated late payment reminders as well. So next time somebody who owes you money doesn't pay, they automatically get a message so you don't have to chase them down or worst off, forget to get paid. Seriously, if you're a small business owner or a freelancer, check out the service. It's super easy to use and it's free for the first month. FreshBooks is offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial to our listeners. To claim it, just go to freshbooks.com slash invest and enter invest like a boss in the how did he hear about us section. MC, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me on, Sam. Yeah, buddy. Well, we recently had a very, very good chat on your podcast the cash flow ninja man that was a lot of fun and i've been listening to your podcast a lot since so dude during that episode there's so much i wanted to ask you but i realized that it wasn't my podcast so i couldn't just start diving in so i thought hey no better way let's get you on invest like a boss and talk about a lot of this stuff so again this is gonna be a lot of fun absolutely looking forward to it so the slogan of your podcast is living a life of passion and purpose on your terms and i, I just love that and especially the part about on your terms, which I think is so crucial. And in your podcast, you challenge a lot of the beliefs and misinformation around things like money, savings, investing, wealth, retirement, lots of good things there. And maybe let's just kick, kick it off. Let's go straight into it. And what are some of the biggest myths and mis, you know, misinformation around some of these concepts that you know, you've seen in all of your study and all the great people that you've interviewed? Yeah, I think there's there's quite a couple that's out there. And of course, when it comes to uh, financial information, it's very noisy, right? Mm. Um, there's a lot of a lot of ideas out there. But I think one of the most mainstream ideas and one of the biggest problems that I see out there is the cash flow approach versus accumulation. 
Mm -hmm. And right now, a lot of people are told, you know, go to school, get good grades, go work for a company, uh, max out your 401k plan uh, that give your money to Wall Street for 30 plus something years. Uh, and when it's time for you to retire, they'll give them a mountain of money back to you that you can draw from and live out the rest of your life like those people do on the, the advertisements, right? <laughs> but it's a completely broken system. And Sam, the thing that makes me really, really uh, just uh, kind of a little mad is sometimes is, is it's, it's failed a lot of people and I continue to see it fail people. Um, you know, there are many people that, uh, I've been in contact with and, and, and spoken to that they've done all the right things, right? They did all these things I just mentioned. And now that they're entering their golden years for retirement and it's toward the, towards the end of their life, um, they are seeing that it's not working. Uh, they're not going to have enough money to retire, um, as, as they were told, and, uh, they don't know what to do. So because there's a, there's a number of factors that plays into this thinking too. We're living longer, right? Technology is amazing. We live in amazing times. Mm -hmm. Um, so we're, we're starting to live longer too. So a lot of people, even if, even if they do have some savings set aside and have followed the accumulation approach, they're going to outlive their money. So the other opposite to that, and I think it's getting a lot of traction because a lot of people are starting to see, uh, not only are the cracks there for the, the current conventional financial and wealth, wealth planning, but um, it, it's being exposed as it is. So a lot of people are looking at cash flow, you know, recurring income streams every single month mm -hmm. uh, to fund that not only your lifestyle right now, but into the future as well. So I always use the analogy and talk about the golden goose, right? The, the accumulation approach is kind of like taking that goose, feeding that goose, taking care of that goose for 30 to 35 years and then slaughtering the goose and eating the goose. The problem is the goose is gone and you run out of uh, out of food where with the cash flow approach, we have our goose, we keep it ni nice and healthy mm. and we keep collecting the eggs. And then we have many different geese, right? From all over the place. So that's definitely one of the biggest ones that I've seen that's out there and it's changing. It's exciting to see that there are a lot of people that's changing that, that mindset. The other thing too is compound interest. You see a lot of, um, financial planners and advisors talk about, you know, the, uh, what Einstein said, it's like the eighth wonder of the world and, and all those things. And compound interest is a great thing. I love compound interest. But I think one of the things that people do not take into consideration when we talk about compound interest is the other things that compound with it wealth destroyers, such as taxes. So if your money's in a vehicle and it's compounding, well, the tax liability in its compounding as well. The fees, especially if we look at the Wall Street assets, assets under management model of, you know, two and 20 for some of the hedge funds, but 2% usually around there, one and a half to 2%. Um, that's compounding as your money's compounding too. And John Bogle from the Vanguard group has done studies with us, uh, just looking at, uh, you know, 30 to 35 years, two third of th thirds of your gains could be eaten up just through fees. So inflation is, a, is another one too, as well. I'll give you an example of, uh, what I talk about and bring into the accumulation versus the cash flow model too. If you have real estate and you're in a multifamily property, for instance, right? You're generating cash flow on a monthly basis, but 
as inflation keeps going up, the rents can be adjusted with it. So that wealth destroying factor out there is, is, is neutralized mm-hmm. uh, in, in that way, which, which it isn't in a lot of traditional planning. So the other, the third one that I have is the higher risk equals higher reward story that a lot of folks are pitched, right? Yep. And I think one one thing that I've learned from a lot of wealthy people is the risk is never in the investment. It's in the investor. There could be a piece of property. There could be gold and silver investments. Whatever investments we're looking at, five different people can invest in the exact same property. And you know, three of them might completely blow it. And two of them might have a cash machine, right? So it's definitely in the in the investor. So I think when people hear that, it's more of you're losing control by giving it to someone else, and they're telling you that to kind of like protect protect themselves. Yeah. So uh, three things that 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 could help you eliminate that is look if if you have control over your money, right? You have to have control. It's your money. Remember, you're in charge. You're the CEO of your life, right? You're the boss <laughs> of your life. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is you have to protect your downside. Uh, investors, professional investors, the pros. Risk management is key for them. They protect their downside. And then they're always – the third one is very, very efficient, economically efficient in ways of uh, the wealth destroyers of of taxes, fees and costs and and so forth. So – but yeah, those are just some of the quick ones that come to mind when we look at uh, a lot of the misinformation that's out there. Lots in there that I would – just got to rewind and pick back up on. And one of the things you mentioned was wealth wealth destroyers. And I recently heard something that made me challenge the way that I thought about deferring taxes because I've always tried to find vehicles about deferring taxes. But someone very smart uh, recently told me, you should pay tax now because you don't know what the tax is going to be in the future. And, you know, we live in it. You and I both are residents and citizens of, a, of the USA where massive, massive debt is building up. How's that all going to be paid for? No one really knows. But in 30 years, no one knows what the tax rate is going to be, right? It could be lower right. or it could be, it could be double. So that's, it's sort of scary in a way when you're deferring taxes 10 years, 20 years down the road, which seems like a good thing today, but no one knows what it could be tomorrow, right? It's so true. And you, you hit the nail on the head right there. Um, pay, you pay taxes on the seed, not the harvest. That's mm-hmm. what the wealthiest people do. You know, if you talk to really, really wealthy investors, you know, the Jim Rogerses of the world and the, the Robert K. Sockies and those guys, mm-hmm. if you ask them about what do you think, where, where do you think taxes are going to be in 10, 15 or 20 years? They'll look at you and they'll say, I don't care mm-hmm. <laughs> because I have structured my affairs in such a way and positioned it in, in such a way that I've limited and reduced the impact that's that's going to have on my wealth. Mm-hmm. So that's definitely a lesson that I learned from them. And, and that was a whole moment in my personal journey, too, because that's another thing that's out there, too. Right. Uh, another fallacy, the tax deferred, tax deferred. And that's a very, very big uh, on the list, especially when it comes to qualified retirement plans. It's it's high on the pitch list. Right. Mm-hmm. You can defer taxes. You're not paying it right now. Yeah. But guess what, guys? You're going to pay taxes. <laughs> At some point, some point right? it's coming, no matter who you are, or where you are. But uh, some people certainly do it much more efficiently than others. And I, I also recently read somewhere that outliving your money has recently become the number one thing in the world that people fear, more than public speaking and, and a few of the other ones that are around that. So outliving your money has become the most scary thing people can imagine. And I mean, rightfully so. I think we're just so young that it might not 
you know, it might not affect us or it's not certainly not the, the top thing on our minds, but look at this baby boomer generation that's, that's retiring and how many of them can't even see for uh, retirement in the future. Right. And right. when we talked, you mentioned earlier about the accumulation and cash flow models. I was wondering, can, do you have a model for kind of both where you you're working on accumulation, but then you're also working on cash flowing that, that accumulation kind of egg? Yeah, there and and it's so true what you just said too. To just to touch on that, mm -hmm. seventy six million baby boomers are. I mean, they're coming through their their retirement phases. And to give an example of, of having both models kind of set up, so some of the clients uh, that I that I've seen um, and people that I've seen that are pretty well set is there's a little bit of both. There's there's vehicles that they accumulate their money in because mm -hmm. money has to reside somewhere, right? You have to warehouse it, it somewhere, even if you have cash flowing assets, right? So the money's got to go somewhere. So there is a vehicle that you put your money into um, that you can then leverage and invest in more cash flow situations. Some of the people, as I mentioned to you before, uh, that I've seen that's done it really successfully, for instance, would be someone that has a business, but the business owns the property that the business uh, operates in. Mm -hmm. um, so someone that I recently uh, met with that, that are pretty well said, a baby boomer, they were able to sell their business, number one, for retirement. Now, the way that they sold it isn't they take the whole chunk of money up front, again, playing into the wealth destroyers, the taxes, right? Mm -hmm. He did that to spread out his tax uh, liability, number one. The other thing that he did, too, is – well, where are you going to put that money to get a return? And this is the, the whole concept of keeping your money outside of Wall Street. So he took a note. There's a payment plan. He basically seller financed the business. He's getting an income stream from that. Nice. He, he's getting an income stream from the property that the business operates in that is the business that he sold. So he's getting two income streams for his retirement for just from that. Then along from that, he did have some sa some savings in a vehicle, which he accumulated a little bit in. That's something that can be turned into income income for him in his retirement through different vehicles. And then he also, as he, he built his business, used some of the capital of the business to invest in real estate. So he has a lot of multifamily unit properties, about 10 to 15, and those are throwing it off. So I think that's kind of like a model where it, it, it overlaps, mm -hmm. but the focus is purely on the cash flow because you know this person knew that he wanted to live a certain lifestyle and i think that you know uh, a lot of the information again that's out there tell people that hey when you retire you're going to retire in a lower tax bracket well sam i don't want to do that i want to be in the highest tax bracket right. possible <laughs> because i don't want to retire to poverty right mm -hmm. so the way even even though your income could be potentially in a higher tax bracket. Well, how do I get it out that and still maintain the same income? Well, there are ways to do it. There are professional investors uh, using certain vehicles uh, that's tax favorable that make a quite a significant amount of money, but their taxes uh, their taxes aren't that as high. So, um, yeah, there there's different models to do a little bit of both that, but it, the focus has to be on cash flow, especially with people living longer than we've ever been. Yeah, and I guess just to round that up, with people living longer, you know, you can live as long as you want if you're living off more of a cash flow model versus accumulation, where you're just watching every single month getting a little bit lower and lower. And I think that's got to be the really, really scary stuff for for people that are in their golden years. Absolutely. Um, and 
I think that, um, you know, and I see this crisis, this, this crisis coming. I don't know exactly what the time frame is on it. I think Social Security is basically running out of money around 2030 ish, mm-hmm. uh, by their own records. So there's a, you have 76 million baby boomers that's coming through into this time. You have pensions that are severely underfunded. Uh, look at uh, just what's happening in California and, 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 I mean, just pick a state really right now, right? For, uh, for pensions. So you've got that, that side of it. And then you've got people that this is what we've been sold. We've been sold that basically save 10%, say for instance, in a 401k plan for your entire working life. Mm-hmm. And that's going to fund, you know, 20 to 30 years of your life after you've stopped working. Now the math just doesn't add up. So all these factors coming together. And then, of course, uh, you know, as we're recording this too, the, uh, the, we have bubbles all over the world. <laughs> Pick an asset class and you'll find a bubble. At some stage, bubbles do correct or pop. So, um, in the net, you know, again, we, we don't know when this is going to happen, right? But I think putting this all together and have some of these trends and these things overlap just sets the stage for, um, just a retirement crisis for a lot of people that are out there. So I think, is it too late for a lot of people? Not at all. I mean, I just watched the movie the other night of Ray, uh, the founder of the McDonald's movie with Ray Kroc was 52, right? Oh, wow. When he cool. started McDonald's. So I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, you, you need to be Ray Kroc to bounce back yeah. and have that retirement. But my point is people can still make adjustments, uh, and there are still opportunities for them to utilize what they have and turn that into into cash flow. Well said. Funny you mentioned Ray Kroc. We were driving in, on Palm Beach in Florida about a month ago. And as we were driving around, my grandma goes, you know whose house that is? It's this massive, massive mansion on the beach. I go, I have no idea, grandma. She goes, that was McDonald's first secretary. It was the first secretary, <laughs> I guess, of Ray Kroc. And they didn't have enough money to pay her. So they gave her, you know, maybe a percent or half a percent of equity. Uh, yeah. as part of her compensation and look what, look what that turned into. It's insane, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, uh, yeah, no, it's a lot of lessons in, in that movie. And, you know, there's a lot of people that have opinions about Ray Kroc, but mm-hmm. I usually try and look at what can I learn from this, not judge someone for what they did and how they did do, do things. Right. So what can I learn from this? And, uh, there's a lot of lessons in there from uh, personal development, persistence, perseverance, thinking outside the box, being contrarian, which, uh, you know, has helped a lot of people, uh, a lot of uh, successful people um, that I've had the opportunity mm-hmm. to meet with and the privilege uh, are contrarians and think a little bit differently. Um, and, uh, you know, I've always wondered if such a small group of people have figured it out and they're successful and they're, they're building wealth, uh, and legacy wealth. Um, why are we following the advice, uh, and the, the conventional wisdom that the majority of people are, are following and doing and implementing that are not? Yeah. Well said. We'll leave a link to that. I actually haven't seen that documentary as a movie, but we'll have to leave a link to that because that's something I'd, I'd be really interested. I know the listeners would like to listen to as well. And, um, man, so for the listeners, I've been become privy to something that MC is working on. It's not out today, but by the time we release this episode, I believe it will be. And, man, how many people have you interviewed now? I think over 150. Yeah. So it's, there's, there's over 150 people. Um, 
There's uh, uh, professional investors, best-selling authors, financial educators, financial professionals, um, and these are the financial professionals that um, they advise a very, very high clientele. Mm-hmm. Um, so the quote-unquote premium strategies of the wealthy is mm-hmm. what they what they're talking about because. You know, there's a different set of rules, unfortunately, Sam, as, as you know, for everybody. You know, I don't make up the rules. I can just see that there are for, for different people. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, uh, it's to us to figure out what are the rules and play the game as, as best as we can to take care of ourselves and our families, our communities and, uh, you know, our network, uh, and, and, and people that we can touch. Yeah, definitely. Well, I know you're working on something called Money Masters Playbook, and I don't want to spoil it because it's not out yet. But in that, you have something that's called the six pillars that you've kind of rolled up a lot of this content and learning and strategy into. And you think we can just touch on that, some of the, the high level points of that that's coming out? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, this is kind of an, an ebook little project that I've been working on, just uh, picking up some of the tidbits of things that I've learned from from all these successful and wealthy investors. Mm-hmm. Um, the first pillar that I identified is is the mindset, right? And we keep hearing this, but they just think differently. Um, and that has been extraordinary to see how they think. They they have a vision for their life, and they think. Uh, in such big terms <laughs> that mm-hmm. it scares it scares them. They you know they know the universal uh, law of 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 value, right? They know that the more pers- people that they serve and produce value for, that value flows back into their life through different uh, different currencies. So. Uh, that's one thing that I definitely picked up from them. They know that also that they are their biggest and their greatest assets. So they continually try to redevelop themselves, improve. They, they study, read as much as they can, learn. And not only do they read with everything that they agree with, <laughs> they read from on everything that they disagree with right. to open their mind and, and get a different perspective. You know, uh, that's the one thing that I picked up from wealthy investors. They, they always try to figure, they wake up in the morning even, and they have an opinion about something, but they're trying to figure out, do I have this right? Am I, am I looking at this the right way? And b- by reading things that are different to what they believe and what, how they think, it challenges that. I've touched on the vision and plan. That's the second pillar. You know, they have the vision for their life and then comes the plan to implement that, that vision, right? That's where you got to start. If you're trying to build a, a, a lifestyle business for yourself and become an investor and, and build assets, you have to know what the vision is for your life before you can create and build those those assets. Otherwise, you're going to create a prison for yourself, right? And I've done that personally myself, uh, so, so I can definitely learn from that. Mm-hmm. But And then comes the plan, and it's very, very detailed. So they journal. I mean, it's daily, it's weekly, it's monthly, it's yearly. They track. Everything is tracked and analyzed to that plan. And with that huge vision, they over, I mean, they set goals so big that they – in the back of their minds, they don't think they could possibly hit it. Yeah, Ted Ted Turner, Ted Turner, right there. Yeah, exactly. And and even if you don't hit it, where you end up, tr- it, trust me, is a lot further than than what you would have been by setting average goals. And that's one thing that I've learned is that's one of the biggest biggest self sabotaging things that someone can do is setting average goals that you can hit. Mm. The other thing is network and team. You know, we we've 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 all heard your your network equals your net worth, and surrounding yourself with the five people is extremely important because. 
you're going to turn into those five people or have the average income of those five people around you. Team, these guys are leaders. Uh, they build a high performance teams to help them execute their plan. Uh, they, they know how to bring the best out of their team members and put them in positions to thrive. Wealth capture is a huge one. Wealthy people know how to capture their wealth. There's different vehicles of how to do that. Um, we teach through certain insurance products and real estate. Uh, wealthy people combine these two, these two asset classes to their advantage to capture their wealth and then leverage it. Um, the fifth pillar is just wealth strategies, different strategies that they can implement from estate planning, um, tax <laughs> strategies yeah. that we touch on. This is cardinal for them because again, I, I mentioned the rules, right? There's rules and there's different rules for everyone. You know, to give you an example, your listeners might be familiar with Robert Kiyosaki's cash flow quadrant, where on the left hand side, you have the, the employer and the self-employed. Um, those are the people that pay the highest taxes. And on the other side, you have the B and the I, the business owner, big business and investor. The rules are written for the business owners and the investors. So it's trying to figure out how to get from the one side of the quadrant to the, to, to the other side. And this is done through strategies and systems because we all have the same uh, amount of asset classes that we can invest in, right? We mm -hmm. can invest in real estate, businesses, you know, paper assets, commodities, and now digital assets, you know, such as cryptocurrencies and blockchains. It's all the same. It's how we do it. And these guys have uh, premium strategies that their team help them. And then the last pillar is giving. You know, you don't have to be wealthy and successful to start giving. And that's one of the things that I've learned from the people that I've interviewed too. They start giving right away. They have $10 in their pocket. A dollar is going out to someone right away. And this is something that you can do on a small scale. I mean, there's organizations, for instance, like um, Kiva is one that I came across that that empowers other entrepreneurs through through loans and, and coaching, for instance. That's mm -hmm. something that you can set up for like $10 a month, 25 and you can help other people around the globe uh, sharing your experience. And then also it's a loan, right? So it's not a handout, um, which is the, the, there's, there's a huge distinction on that. Mm -hmm. um, so it's mutually beneficial for both people. There's a mentor and then there's an organization that's nonprofit that you obviously donate to um, that then helps funds these people. So those are just six, six uh, of the pillars that I've identified interviewing all these people. That's amazing. Uh, the, the giving one's really interesting because I've read a lot of, of audiobiographies throughout my life. And one thing that always seems very common in them is that they, a lot of these people get to the end of their life and they realize that the giving part of their life was the, what brought them the most fulfillment. It wasn't the, the wealth creation or the networking or all these crazy trips they did. It was when they started to give back, when they started to mentor, when they started to help people in need, that they were actually the happiest. And uh, a lot of people think of charity just as charity, do something that do something that's nice for somebody else. But it's it's not just that, right? It feels good right. for, for most people. And I think the earlier people can start on that, the the earlier they can be a little bit more fulfilled in everything they do. So I would, I would definitely encourage people. And I'm looking forward to reading more about that in your in your pillars and playbook. No, awesome. And the other thing that I would say too is currency, right? People, uh, the, when I say the word currency, the first thing is people think about money. Mm -hmm. And the one thing that I've also learned from these folks is it has a different meaning. Everybody has a different currency because when you're uh, successful, for instance, like a guy like Jim Rogers, for instance, right? 
he I mean, he has all the money that, that he needs. Mm-hmm. But what is his currency? I mean, he might uh, there's charitable causes that he believes in that he's passionate about. Uh, giving back is a big thing. So when especially when you network with a lot of people too, um, find out what what people's currencies are and try to try to help them uh, in, in that way, for yeah. instance, try to help them through supporting um, and uh, donating your time to the charitable causes that are important to them. That might be a, a one way of get, of getting a connection because they they don't really don't need the money. Mm-hmm. It's other things that are more important to yeah, them. Yeah, very smart. MC, I'm wondering. You know, you've you've interviewed 150 people, so I'm I'm gonna guess you've been doing the podcast alone for over three years. What was what was your experience in finance and you know, investing business before you got started? Because it seems like you've obviously learned a ton through 150 episodes that you've done. But where were you before that, that you got started with that? Yeah, so I was originally from South Africa. I grew up in an extremely interesting time in our in our country's history yeah. there. Um, so yeah, when, when, uh, President Nelson Mandela was, was released, uh, from prison, that, uh, that was a day that I still remember as if it was yesterday when he became the first democratically elected, uh, president in South Africa. I was still in high school at that stage. So it was quite of a, a, a big change. He had a huge impact on my life, the way that I think, because obviously growing up there, um, there was a lot of misinformation. So I think, one of the less big lessons that I learned, and I'm glad I learned it at a very, very early stage, was um, not everything is as it seems it is. And usually there's a lot of noise and a lot of propaganda out there, regardless of where you find yourself in the world, right? So I think um, from 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 a personal standpoint and the way that I approached and came into investing and to, to wealth is I always question everything. I try to read as much as I can different points of view and form my own opinion that, you know, I believe doing it that way, you might get closer to the truth <laughs> mm-hmm. because or try to figure out common commonalities. Um, so as far as investing, um, when I graduated university and so I bought my first investment property uh, right out of university. Um, and, uh, that's where I started my investing career. Um, I, you know, I come from a middle-class family. My mom put rich dad, poor dad in my hand around about, I think university or the end of university. And that changed my life right there. And it was just, uh, changing my, you know, my, my context of how I started looking at wealth and investments. Um, and that's how I kind of went down the rabbit hole of researching and, and reading different books and, and so forth and bought that first investment property, thought, hey, I mean, this <laughs> this is pretty easy. And oh, my goodness, did the learning only start um, mm-hmm. right there for me. And then I came to the United States around 2001, backpack, 500 bucks, I think a, a suitcase, a sense of humor and a sense of adventure. Were, were you on the same boat as Elon Musk? <laughs> different one, different one. <laughs> okay, okay. But uh, yeah, so I, I came in the United States. I played in a, a competitive uh, rugby league up until 2007, played representative for rugby here. While I was doing that, um, I came across a very, very wealthy private real estate investor in Chicago. And I have to be the first one to say, Sam, I was not smart enough to figure out that uh, you have to find a mentor mm-hmm. at that stage. Um, definitely not smart enough to figure it out at that stage. So that kind of just, it was a co, it was something the guy was in, in my network through, through rugby and I learned so much. I mean, I started working for them as I was uh, pursuing my career in, in sports, but 
did everything from the ground up. Um, they owned huge multifamily buildings all across Chicago. So I started from like painting apartments to doing maintenance to um, eventually uh, doing property management, you know, leasing mm-hmm. apartments, writing leases, doing the due diligence, that kind of stuff to advertising and marketing, uh, uh, showing the, the, the places, um, uh, running the property eventually from doing the books to collect, collecting rent, sending notices, dealing with lawyers, um, to eventually being part of his acquisitions team. Um, I had a real estate broker's license at, at that point. So, I learned so much from the operations of investments from the bottom up, mm-hmm. literally from the bottom to at the top where I can see what these guys look for, how they identify properties, how they buy and sell properties, which one they hold or which ones they hold on to, which ones they they um they sell to other investors and really learn the game from inside out at that stage. I would say that um, what really opened my eyes was I joined masterminds at that stage mm-hmm. too, because it, it, I just saw the power it had and how these guys connect in the masterminds that they were part of um, and the communities that they were part of and came across also just other investment vehicles and strategies that, that the, the very wealthy people employ. And I just couldn't believe it. I couldn't understand that you know the public's being told one thing the majority of people but the people that are super successful and ultra wealthy um such as the people that I had access to at that point working working for them they were doing things a completely different way so i think that really opened my eyes during that time i read the creature of jekyll island yeah, too yeah i love that book it's a Mr. great G. book Griffin, yeah. absolutely so if you want to know how the rules works and central yeah. banking works oh man <laughs> I was distraught after reading that book. Oh, uh, I I think I read it twice after uh, uh, reading it the first time. I read it one, once more, and I just put it down, and I just couldn't believe that mm-hmm. the information didn't change in there from the time that I yeah. read it. Because I said, I must have missed something. I was waiting to get um, snipered off a 30-foot building for, for reading that book in public. <laughs> exactly so um stuff like that um and i've been very very privileged to you know have mr g edward griffin on my show and Mm -hmm. and i've communicated with him and learned so much from him through the years so that kind of took me down the rabbit hole and just trying to figure out exactly the rules of the game Mm because clearly there's different rules how it's being played um and uh the different side um to to this because there is a different side to the coin you know and the one thing that I've learned as well through the years. I mean, being in finance. Oh, uh, the other, I have a, a an MBA in, in finance as mm-hmm. well from a financial standpoint. So I've always liked analyzing things, uh, investments, looking at that, running the numbers and so forth. But um, the one thing when I came into the financial, financial services industry is I've always looked at it and, and, and you know, the first thing that I saw was financial institutions and banking institutions do the complete opposite of what they tell everybody to do, right? Mm-hmm. They tell you literally park your money with us <laughs> for 30 to 35 years or 40 years. Don't worry about it. And what they do is they turn it over and over and over and over. Mm-hmm. So I think, I mean, and that ties into the rules of financial institutions. You know, they want your money. That's pretty simple to figure it out. They want your money on a regular basis, which is why a lot of people get automatic deductions from their, you know, their paychecks every two weeks. Uh, they want to keep your money for as long as they can. And when they give it back to you, they want to give it a slowly 
uh, uh, back to you as possible and give as little back to you as they can. Mm -hmm. So those are the rules that they play by. And once they have your money, what the, what do they do? Well, they, they operate a different way. They turn it over and over and over, which, I mean, the, the banking institutions, um, and the bank banking model is the most powerful business model that's out there. All right. I wanted to just back up real quick to masterminds and mentorship because so many people that we see that achieve wealth at a, at a, especially at an early age, they all seem to have either done an apprenticeship or had some type of powerful mentor in their life. And I'm wondering if, you know, of all the people that you've been able to have on your show, and it sounds like you're, you still do mentorships and, and masterminds. I'm wondering if that's, if that's also a common, you know, common path of success for a lot of people that you see. Absolutely. It's, it is, uh, they, be, you know, these wealthy people belong to masterminds. They, uh, connect with other wealthy and, and successful, successful people. Mm -hmm. They share ideas. And, and this is the new thing that I've learned too. This is the new economy. Uh, this amazing time that we're living in is it's all about collaboration, right? And I think in the past, and this is also coming from a, a worldview of abundance, mm -hmm. um, is, in these masterminds, people share their best practices and success, even with competitors, um, because they have a worldview of abundance. Um, and what that means is we're not fighting over the small little pie and trying to keep all of our trade secrets and try to be sneaky. No, it's like, listen, there is so much business out there and opportunity for all of us. We can't possibly get all of it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it's impossible. So let's not, you know, fight over the small little pie. Let's grow this pie together. So people share and connect with people in their industry. These masterminds share best practices, but they all have that in common. Now, there might be people listening to us saying, well, how do I find a mentor? It is the easiest time in the world to find one because you don't necessarily have to connect with the person right away to start off with. You can find someone online that you can model, right? It's like the Tony Robbins thing of the, the, the just modeling other people. Find someone that's successful in whichever niche you are or whatever sphere you operate in. Uh, and tradecraft you have, mm -hmm. look at what they're doing, studying, consume their content, and then eventually reach uh, reach out to them th uh, through that. I mean, that's something that I would advise uh, people to do that, that have that question because a lot of people have asked me and, and listeners on my podcast is, well, how do I find a mentor, right? Um, that's, that's definitely the first, the first thing right there mm -hmm. uh, that I would do. And what's, what's like a typical format for a mastermind? Because I've, I've never actually been part of a mastermind per se. They're like, they're always floating around my network. Hey, you want to join this mastermind? But I never really understood what, what the standard format is. Is it like everyone gets in a room together and just shares ideas or is it, you know, have you seen different types that have been, you know, more typical or more successful? Yeah. So there's different types of formats. So there could be one that there's one guy that's obviously operating at a level of extraordinary production mm -hmm. um, that People would want to join his mastermind and learn from him that way. And that's the giving back part too, right? Mm -hmm. That a lot of people do it. Now they're paid because there's obviously overheads for certain of these guys to run that. That's one way of doing it to, to, to learn and basically have contact with that person. The other one is for say there's six or seven or, you know, let's say pick a round number 10, 10 of us that 
we're interested in we're at a certain level for with our businesses uh and maybe some guys might be a little bit of a higher different level some guys might be a little bit lower but the 10 of us would get together even if it's in person uh for you know a couple of times a year or or online virtually which a lot of guys do now and share best practices so maybe for instance you know some if if you and I are with eight other guys so maybe uh, someone would say, okay, in February, you know, Sam's going to tell us what he's up to, what's worked from, what's not working. He's going to ask the group for advice. What can he do better? What does he want to do? What level does he want to get to? And, you know, that's one way of doing it because then you can share your, what's working. People can learn from you. And then, you know, also what can I do better? And now you have nine other guys that have different uh, success in different fields that can share, hey, this is what worked for me. This is what we did. You know, so it's a, it speeds up the learning curve mm-hmm. exponentially because, you know, you can read a lot of information online as well, but having someone to reach out to, and even if you say something in the mastermind that resonated with me, I can reach out to you and say, Sam, let's talk about this. You said something extremely interesting. Some of the other uh, uh, masterminds, and this is actually something, one of the projects that I'm working on uh, as well is educational, is a platform for f- a financial education, to, to have a platform that someone can access, learn uh, in a very easy, easy, easily digestible format, mm-hmm. um, reach out to you, uh, and bring other people in that teach in the mastermind as well. So that speeds up the learning curve, and especially like people learn today, I mean, we're we're living in this global village, right? We're all in different time zones and all in different places in the world. So what makes it really easy and and, and amazing to, to be able to do mm-hmm. is to have a platform that someone can access at their own leisure, uh, at their own time that fits into their schedule to do their learning. Yeah, I think that's really smart. And MC, how does this all uh, intertwine with Valhalla Wealth Financial? I believe that's, is that your, your basically advisory company of sorts? Yeah, so um, we help people build uh, their wealth outside of Wall Street. So it's a little bit contrarian to what a lot of a uh, lot of other wealth management firms do out there. So mm-hmm. a very big part of our building block at Valhalla is education, because you know my view um, as a as an advisor and a strategist is that you are the CEO of your own life, right? You, the, you are the captain of your ship and the leader, um, and you should be empowered and be in control of your finances. It is my job to advise you and to help you implement and execute certain things. And this mm-hmm. is what I've learned from, from wealthy uh, family offices too. So what we do is there's a big educational component. We then help people establish um, vehicles that are allow the control over their money are extremely advantageous as far as tax uh, taxes mm-hmm. and then fees and commissions and then help them leverage uh the the money that they warehouse in these vehicles to invest into other uh, investments that produces cash flow and that produces growth so i mentioned liquidity uh income and growth as three very big pillars of what we do you know we 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 structure vehicles on insurance uh, chassis uh, for as far as um, liquidity uh, that we warehouse our wealth in. Because, Sam, uh, looking at, at the world right now, one of the biggest risks that I see out there isn't necessarily market risk and political risk, but it's institutional risk, right? Mm-hmm. To give you an example, in 2008 and 2009, if you saw what was coming and you shorted the market, uh, which a lot of people did, if your money and your trading was done through Lehman Brothers, 
even though you were right. Oh gosh, yeah. You it was gone. Wow. Oh man, that's scary. Yeah. So not only is political and market risk a very big risk, it's institutional risk. So you have to be very, very careful and truly understand with what financial institution your money is. Now, your money is not with Valhalla Wealth. We, we are wealth strategists that help you put it into mutual insurance companies that have been around since the mid 1800s. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have a track record, for instance, mutual insurance companies. The policyholders are the shareholders in the companies. They pay dividends for a hundred years consecutively. So one, one carrier has paid the same dividend out for nine years consecutively during the last financial crisis. So these companies have millions of dollars in excess reserves. Some of them billions, actually uh, one that I know for sure, um, looking at their, their, their statements. So that means even if they pay every single claim on their books, they still have that uh, millions and billions in excess reserves. Mm-hmm. So those guys are pretty, pretty liquid. So when the water goes out, <laughs> I think it was Buffett that said that you could see we sw- sw- swam naked. Yeah. And you could truly see that in 2008, 2009, these guys had some shorts on and uh, uh, bikinis. So they did not swim naked. So that's very important. So we, we place our, our clients' money into institutions like this where it's where there's a lot of downside protection. Uh, there's predictable sec- uh, growth security. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the insurance vehicle chassis that we use allows tax-free growth, but you can also leverage the money that's in there to invest in the next phase, which is income, which would do some private lending, some real estate investments to produce cash flow for you. Um, and then the growth phase, too, is uh, an asset clause that is extremely intriguing that we help our clients with as well as life settlement investments. And this is something that I looked at from a growth perspective and from a diversification uh, perspective because if you really truly think about it, a life insurance policy that you're in- invested in such as life settlements, it's not correlated to any political risk, no market risk uh, whatsoever. <laughs> life settlement would be would, is essentially life. I, I own annuities, but life insurance is they're they're all kind of intertwined, but not exactly the same. Correct. Yeah, so there's different parts. So I think uh, to be more a little bit more specific, the first for the liquidity part, we actually put uh, a lot of money uh, structured according to the infinite banking way in dividend paying whole life insurance vehicles. Mm-hmm. So it's completely uh, structured different than the, the, the stuff that you see uh, just being sold to the public. Because it allows you uh, t- a tax-free growth in there, predictable safety security. And then when you borrow money from a mutual insurance company, you don't borrow from your own uh, policy like a uh, 401k or an IRA or so forth. Mm-hmm. So if you have $100,000 in cash value and, and borrow $100,000 from uh, the life insurance company, you still have $100,000 on the one side of your your policy growing predictably uh, with certainty for you. And on the other side, you can take that $100,000 and invest in real estate, private lending, or life settlements. Now, life settlements is investments in certain life insurance policies. It's a, you know, the insurance co- uh, in, industry in the United States is around um, 17 trillion. And this is like $500 billion is mm-hmm. life settlement. So it's really, really small. It's usually, you know, it had a very bad rap. And I kind of like, when I took a look at it initially, I was like, oh, I don't know if this, you know, this sits well. But basically what it, what it entails is, um, there are people out there that are in financial, financial trouble that 
that require access to capital to live out the remainder of their life. They mm-hmm. might have a terminal illness. There might have been a life event and so forth. So usually it's two to five years. Well, what life settlement companies do is they would purchase their their life insurance policies and actually the studies that have been done pay them four to seven times more cash than they have in cash value for these. Uh, so the the seller benefits because they're getting more money to live out the remainder of their life comfortably and mm-hmm. also being able to leave some money behind for their for their family. The purchaser of these obviously has the upside then when the the seller does pass away, they have access to to the death benefit. So there's value created on both sides of, of the transaction, and it completely diversifies the the investment completely out of market. Mm. So that's kind of like the three prong approach that we do, that we do. Um, the infinite banking principles that we use. I mentioned the most powerful banking system in the world is the banking system. Mm-hmm. They have the biggest buildings in all of the cities and so forth. So. The same principles that that happens in the system, uh, we we help our clients teach and implement in their own life. So we work with individuals, families. We do legacy planning, college planning, and then investors, entrepreneurs, and small businesses to tailor specific things. The thing about an insurance product too is you can tailor it to meet your goals. You don't. You're not what you're not an advisor walking around with a hammer and everything looks like a nail. Yeah. Well, there's there's two parts of your podcast that I really enjoyed answering and also listening to on some of the other guests, and I wanted to roll those into ours for this episode. And one of the questions was that you commonly ask people on your podcast three principles that they would leave down to the next generation to build wealth, happiness, and success. Of course, they can't leave any money down. They just have to leave three principles. So I'm very curious to, to know what your three might be. The first one, and this, uh, you know, it. I was thinking about it too because you know I usually ask people this question <laughs> and know their answer, so it was great to think about it. And my wife and I just uh, uh, had our first child. My wife gave birth to our child uh, three weeks ago, so you know it really. I was you know thinking and and kept thinking about it. And I think the first thing that I would say is you are your biggest asset. Number one, a lot of people walk out there and I hear this question every single time, you know, MC, what do I put my money in? What do I invest in? You know, where, who can I give my money to? Uh, And, you know, at that stage, I just said, let's just stop for a minute and realize one thing. You are number one, the biggest asset that you will ever have in your own life is yourself. And it is your duty to study, learn, uh, and become more valuable to others, right? Because that's uh, that's how we are able to serve other people if we increase our own value. And I don't think a lot of people think about it that way, but we all have a value. There's a human life value that we all have to the world. Uh, and it is our duty and obligation to be as valuable to other people around us. I try to be as valuable as I can be to my family Every single every single day, my my community, you know, my friends, my my clients. Um, so I see, I definitely see that as a duty to continue to study, to learn, uh, to you know, to network, to uh, to just grow yourself into the best version of yourself. And I think uh, one of the things that ties into that is f- finding that purpose, because once you know your purpose. 
uh, and knowing what it is, you can you can grow and focus on that growth uh, to be aligned with that purpose. Mm-hmm. The second one is think for yourself. <laughs> and it might sound very, very cliche-ish and, you know, okay, it's not revolutionary. Think for yourself. But truly, I think critical thinking is something that's not taught in our school systems anymore. Um, you know, the information that's out there, especially uh, in a lot of the media that we can consume, um, is very one-sided and really just there to dumb you down, right? There's <laughs> Somebody's not trying to increase your your uh, your IQ or your emotional IQ by, you know, putting Kardashian stories in your face every day. So you really, truly have to understand that um, it's your it's your obligation to study as much as you can read from different perspectives. You know, we all have different viewpoints. We all have different stories. We all have different backgrounds. We all live in different places in the world and experiences. Learn from others and then form your own opinion and think for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, just don't repeat what other people are saying out there. Think truly, truly think for, think for yourself. And I think, um, you know, and just to tie into that, we all have a vision of what we want the world to look like, right? I mean, every single person out there really, truly deep down wants, wants the best for him and his family and to be able to care and love for his family and take care of them and to live in a, a certain com- a, a community, right? And to live in a, in a, in a, in a world that, uh, of peace, of, of productivity, of, you know, of, of healthy people and so forth. That vision, how we get there is a different way because we all have different ideas. Yeah. So think for yourself. And then the third one I would say is play a bigger game. And that's something that I've learned and that I try to live by every day because, you know, Sam, really, truly, I really played a small game for a while, too. And uh, I challenge myself every single day when I get up and I say, you need to think bigger. Uh, and play a bigger game and try to serve more people and provide more value for other people. Um, because I think it's, you know, it's such, such a way to self sabotage and really selling yourself short, uh, within your own life by not challenging yourself to be the best version of yourself and playing, playing the biggest game that you possibly can. I like that stuff a lot. And there's one more piece that I wanted to tie into this. And that is, again, you, you ask people about the best advice that they are given. And I would just imagine if I asked 150 smartest people I know the best advice that was ever given, that so much of that would stick out, and th- that would be so much good content that you could, you know, you could put out on that. And I just want to know if there's a couple that stick out to you that maybe have a, a personal effect on you, or that you thought were particularly pointed. Yeah, I think the first one that I mentioned was you're the biggest asset. So developing at that. The second one is the 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 relationships that you have. And the people that you meet. Um, and these are two big things. I had, um, I had someone tell me that, you know, just think about it, right? If we take, a, if somebody takes away every single cent that I have, everything, uh, and I have invested in myself and I, uh, you know, I have this mindset and, and knowledge and, and, uh, this ability to constantly learn new things and adapt. And the other thing is, and I have the network of people that that I've built relationships with and provided value for. I can start from anywhere again, mm-hmm. and I'll yeah. be back, right back where I was. So that when when uh, the specific guest said that, I was like, wow, you know, that's tr- I mean, if you th- really think about it, all these other things around us, you know, the 
the uh, the earthly things, right? <laughs> the the money and the the homes and the vacations and all of that kind of stuff. All of the 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 stuff that out there. That's just a lot of fluff. It, it really, truly, at your core, if you really, really think about it, those are the t- two of the biggest things. The other thing that I would say too is um, that I've learned from them is that they all know exactly who they are. And this might sound so simple, but if you truly think about it, how many of us truly know exactly who we are? We've spent time, you know, we spend time in these bodies of ours every single day, but sometimes we don't even exactly know who we are. And that hap- I mean, that happened to me. I was in a very, very uh, low point in my life in 2011, and I realized I did not know who I was. And that's one thing that I've learned from them too. They know who they are. They know at the core of their being who they are. And that's why when there's a lot of negative stuff out about certain people mm-hmm. and a lot of media and, you know, all these guys, you mentioned Ted Turner, for instance, there's a lot of negative media out about him. There's a lot of negative media about many different people out there. The reason why that thing, uh, they don't bat an eyelid is because they know who they are inside. Uh, and their family, their closest people know who they are around them. So that's definitely one thing um, uh, that I learned from them as well. The facing adversity part, every single successful person have faced adversity. You just not, you're just not going to keep uh, – you're not going to get to the top uh, it, or where you, where you would find success if you haven't found that. And speaking about getting to the top, that ties into the other thing that I've noticed about them. They're always climbing. Mm-hmm. They are always climbing. You know, look at Elon, fellow South African, <laughs> Elon Musk. I mean, guys like Elon, uh, like Steve Jobs, like, you know, Ray Kroc, I would mention too, just watching that movie. Um, you know, you would think after Elon's experience at PayPal, that's it, right? Um, no, <laughs> he's still climbing. Yeah. You know, there's Tesla and there's SpaceX and the same with the other guys. I mean, you would think that once they've reached the pinnacle of success, uh, that they would stop at so- a certain stages, but they don't. They are always moving, not because they're chasing money at that stage, but there's a vision. It's like, oh my goodness, you know, Elon went from, um, transferring money to, you know, uh, these, uh, you know, cars and uh, look at space. We're going to explore the moon. Look, what kind of a vision do you have to have? Uh, mm-hmm. and how big is that vision? And again, I was saying about, you know, setting that vision or that those goals that are unattainable. Just, you know, just think about that. Um, can he reach that? I mean, a lot of people will be like, I don't, yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. And even if he doesn't, I mean, the, what he's shooting for and where he's go, trying to go, uh, it's amazing. So those are some of the things that I've learned from them. It's quite, it's quite remarkable the way the, the, the power that these people have in their minds, uh, and the, the way that they think, um, and what is truly important to them. Beautifully said, my man. Well, MC, shameless plug time. Where can everyone find out more about you, your material, and uh, what you guys got going on as your new projects? Yeah, Sam. So uh, CashflowNinja.com is my primary platform. Uh, you know, as you mentioned, that that's my podcast that listeners out there that want to uh, just get some more information and, and, and learn about these things that I talk about and some of the guests that I'm on is CashflowNinja.com. ValhallaWealth.com is the wealth management firm. Uh, check us out. There's We're a little bit contrarian. There's a lot of educational resources on there. Uh, and there's also a pro- private mastermind group at Perpetual Multiplier.com, one word, 
uh, that we're launching in the in the middle of June. So if any of these things that we we talked about is of any interest uh, for you, check us out. Good stuff. And see, well, please keep us updated, man. It's like a lot of exciting projects you have going on. Awesome material on your website, and we look forward to hearing much, much more from you and your guests in the future. So take care, and thanks for joining us on Invest Like a Boss. Fantastic. Thank you so much for having me on, Sam. It was fantastic to connect with you again. All right. All right. Another interesting episode. I think there was two things that he mentioned that I was really interested in. Uh, I'm, I'm curious, before I say mine, um, was there anything that kind of really stuck out to you? Well, I always like when people talk about mentorship and mentors because I know how important it was to me and something that I try to continue to have someone that's mentoring me, but also try to mentor people when I feel I have the, the accreditation to do so. So whenever people talk about that, it's always worth echoing because there's a lot of people out there wondering how to get started. And I think the best way and easiest way has been the same for the last 5,000 years. Become an apprentice, find someone to mentor you, work your butt off for them and learn learn a, some valuable skills. Uh, so I would say that's one I liked um, I liked what he talked about with the accumulation versus cash flow approach. It's something that we've we've thought about and talked about in roundabout ways, but it's another way to say it. And especially when talking about baby boomers and all the baby boomers, at least all the ones I know, they've always been taught the same thing: work your butt off, save as much money as you can, let it grow, create this nest egg, and then retire on it. And I think that is where a lot of people are scared to death right now is because they accumulated some type of nest egg. Let's say it's a million dollars or $2 million and they're 60. But guess what? That's not that much money to live off of for the rest of your life, depending on you know what, what your finances and liabilities are and stuff. And where is that money? Is it correlated with the market? If Can you take a 50% drawdown and still have enough money to live the rest of your life? So I think when he kind of related the cash flow approach versus the accumulation approach. I thought a lot of that made sense and resided. Yeah, definitely. And I'm a big fan of cash flow and passive income as well. I think it's kind of nice that we have on guests from both sides because I think that's kind of the ultimate one to combination is having big, the big nest egg. And a lot of times you need money to make money. Um, so, yeah. You know, that's what I like about things like the dividend uh, playing, you know, paying stocks or, um, all the other kind of different types of kind of hard money loans that we do, where we're using our our nest egg, our money to make us money, which cash flows. So the the two things that he mentioned that I'm very interested in, uh, and I would love for us to get a guest on, kind of talk about these uh, in the future. Is the first is the life settlement funds. Do you remember what he had mentioned about those? My understanding of those, and I might miss misspeak here, but all of that stuff, I believe, is uh, essentially life insurance, kind of like what we talked about with uh, Phil Canella on back in the episode, where your money's basically in an insurance company, super, super safe. It's paying some sort of dividend, uh, either linked to the market or uh, fixed in or fixed or variable interest. And, you know, a lot of and those and those have a lot of tax uh, incentives and tax deferral opportunities in those. So I believe that those are some type of life insurance products. Life insurance is still something that confuses me, man, but annuities, life insurance products. Uh, and we've, we've now had two dedicated episodes on it. We could probably have 10 and still have questions. Uh, but it seems like 
I mean, both of our episodes that were on annuities and life insurance were both really, really popular episodes. So still a lot of questions to be answered. And I think we should dive into it deeper. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And I think the actual term he used was mutual insurance companies for dividends. So definitely would love to learn more about that because I, I like dividends. I like getting paid out monthly. I like kind of that structure, but I don't understand it. But actually the, the life settlement or the live settlement uh, claims well, that he had mentioned was actually closer to what we had talked about on, on Yield Street where people pay out um, money up front and then you collect on the contract. So whether it's the NBA player or um, the, the litigation uh, claims where, you know, you're just basically giving them money up front and then you get the money as they get money. The live settlements, it, it sounds a little bit strange, but it's basically if someone has like, <laughs> just needs money right now and they have either terminal illness or something's going to happen where they know that, you know, they have, let's say six months or a year to live uh, and they want to like, enjoy the rest of, you know, they want to pay bills uh, before they die, but they know they're going to get two or $5 million yeah. check from the life insurance but they're thinking, like, what am I going to do with $5 million when I'm dead? I might as well have – I'd rather have a million dollars today or $500,000 today. So it sounds, like, a little bit strange, but it really does sound like it's helpful on both sides because, you know, if I didn't have a family, I, you know, I'm like, I don't want $5 million when I'm dead and just have it go to, like, a, a distant relative I don't care about. I'd rather mm-hmm. have a million dollars today through one of these, these, these life settlement funds. So I think that's something really cool that I want to look into as well. Yeah, it seems like that would be more – the type of of product that would go through something like one of these market makers like Yield Street, not something that would go through, I guess he termed it mutual, what do you call it? Mutual insurance fund? Yeah, so I actually think those are two different things. Uh, I, I almost have to re-listen to the episode, but I'm pretty sure, because he, he kind of brushed by them, but I think these are actually two totally separate types of investments. The mutual insurance companies for dividends and then the live settlement funds. Cool. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll reach out, out to MC after this. We'll try to get uh, some additional feedback and clarity on those things and see if he might know somebody that's dedicated in that niche that would come on the show and talk about it. Yeah, very cool. And if any of you guys have any any knowledge on this, please let us know in the Boss Lounge on, on our Facebook group. Yeah, man. Uh, one other thing I thought was really cool that he brought up, not cool, but scary, was what he was talking about with institutional risk. And this was something that obviously happened back in 2008 with Lehman Brothers. And it was one of the things that really started setting off alarms for me when I had a large account with some of my financial advisors, aka brokers. Uh, And I would always say like, do I own these stocks? Do I own it? And I would always get this roundabout answer. Well, no, you you kind of hold, we hold the stock for you. And it's, you know, but we're the biggest bank in the world. There's no issue. They never added up, right? And what he said about Lehman Brothers was absolutely true. Like if you had your money with them, even if you were making the right trades, you lost. And that's a scary thing. And I think that would be, I don't know if there would be anything worse than that, right? Like if you go out and you gamble, you lose, you lose. That's on you. You go out and, you know, you you take a risk, that's on you. But if you put your money with somebody else, it's like putting your money in a bank. You know, my buddy lost all that money in the bank of Cyprus. I mean, what's worse than that? We think it's safe and it's totally, and it's just totally taken from you. It's just like proper theft, but maybe even worse than theft. No, no, that sucks. I would hate that. And uh, speaking of, of a situation like that, didn't you have five Bitcoin in uh, Mount Gox at one point? Uh, well, a five and out of zero. 50? 
No, I didn't have 50, but I had like 32 or something. Oh my! Which is now worth what, like over, like close to 100 grand. 82,000 mm. dollars. That's today. It might go to 10,000, and then what? You know. See, like that's another another risk that people don't talk about. Yeah, I mean that's the same type of thing, right? That I mean, I got physic when when I lost those coins, it was only worth I don't know, it wasn't worth that much. See, it was like probably five hundred, and I had say thirty coins. I mean, it's still a lot of money, fifteen grand, but now it's like close to a hundred grand. But I was sick because I was just I felt like I was taken, you know. I felt like I was just I was just lied to and and screwed. And I feel bad for you, and and that's why it, it sucks so bad when. You know, when we don't even think of the term of institutional risk, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm I'm curious now if through Vanguard, if I own those funds, the stocks, I, I guess I don't. If, if anyone knows, like, let me know. I mean, I'm pretty sure Vanguard's not going to go um, out of business, but I guess who knows, right? No, that's stuff. That's stuff safe. Uh, I I asked the same question. Of one of the first podcasts we had was with Fundrise, and we had just invested in Fundrise, and we're like, "How's this stuff work?" And the last question I asked Ben Miller was. Well, what happens if Fundrise gets nuked? Like, do we lose all that stuff? And the answer is no. The it's all held in like an LLC, and you're the holder of the LLC. If so, Fundrise Fundrise is basically managing it. But if Fundrise got nuked, someone would just come over and take over management, or or you could liquidate the assets or whatever. But uh, so some of that stuff is some of that stuff is, but some of, but a lot of it's not. Like Vanguard, you'd be safe if Vanguard got nuked. That's good to hear. Well, I, I actually miss those questions a lot, so feel free to ask that on my behalf uh, more often. Uh, <laughs> the end of the world question. Sure, buddy. Speaking of which, uh, I am here in Ukraine right now, and I just found out that their savings accounts pay between 20 to 25% interest. Well, you can also put your money in Mongolia and probably Argentina and a few other places and do the same. But do you really want to hold Ukrainian? Do you even know what the Ukrainian money is? It's the Grivna. I've been here for about a week now. And I have a feeling, pure speculation, that the Grivna is going to gain value in the next few years. Or it could tank. But yeah. I have a feeling that it's not going to get any worse. And if anything, it's going to go back to closer to what it was, which was for the longest time, if you guys look at a, a, a chart of what the, the exchange ratio was, it used to be $1 was 8 grivna, and for the last couple of years, it's been pretty steadily terrible at 1 to 26, which means it's great for us because everything's cheap, uh, but because of the instability of the government, the bank, and the political system, they are paying insane amounts uh, for interest. And there's a chance that the Grivna will, you know, go back to being closer to one to eight, which means I have a chance of making both, you know, twenty percent interest on the money, but also the the money being worth more, just you know, over time. Sounds like the story of when I put a big chunk of money in RMB, which is Chinese currency, because it was paying three percent interest, and I thought it was going to appreciate. And now I'm holding it. Now it's been three years. I'm getting 3% interest, but it's been losing like 10% a year for the last three years against the dollar. So I'm down like, oh gosh, I'm down like 30% or something. What if I was making 20%? You'd still be up 10. Yeah. And then what if Russia invades the Ukraine and you can fill up a wheelbarrow and go buy yourself a piece of bread with it? You know, you can kind of do the exact opposite of that right now where you can... 
<laughs> just have a, a piece of, of cash and buy a wheelbarrow. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, anyways, great to have MC on. Smart guy. Uh, love his podcast. Take a listen to it. Cashflow Ninja. He's got some great guests on there. Uh, and he's also got a lot of services and a lot of other material that you should definitely check out. We'll leave links to it all in the show notes. Johnny, any other takeaways from the episode? No. If you guys are looking for a an episode to listen to, you can listen to Sam Mark's episode on Cashflow Ninja. And it was episode 160. So you can hear about Sam's um, journey into his e-cigarette business and <clears throat> how he had that big uh, windfall. Uh, you could also watch his, his talk at the Nomad Summit two years ago. That talks on YouTube. Just look for Sam Mark's Nomad Summit. And um, yeah, that's about it. So thank you guys so much for taking the time to leave all these great five-star reviews of the podcast. Uh, this week, I would like to say thank you to JT Jones 91 he says, must listen, five stars. I found this podcast through Travel Like a Boss podcast. Must say that is a non-boring way to learn about investing. The conversational style is easygoing while packed with great information. So big thank you to JT and big thank you to every, uh, everyone else who's taken the time to uh, leave these amazing reviews. Uh, also, big thank you to our sponsor, FreshBooks. If you guys have an online business and want to put your accounting in the cloud, check out freshbooks.com slash invest like a boss. And also if you do sign up, uh, make sure you put invest like a boss podcast in the how you heard about us section. So that's it guys. And I will see all of you next week. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Best Like a Boss podcast. Join our mailing list at investlikeaboss.com to get exclusive access to our insider investment portfolios and our private members forum. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends and leave us a review in the iTunes store. It helps more than you know. See you guys next week.